0: Good evening. Hey, welcome to Bright Lights, our weekly excursion into the world of achievement and achievers. We're coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. Uh, It's another blessed day uh, in the hood. Uh, And once again, uh, our achievers, uh, I was uh, talking to someone earlier saying that, look, uh, we all basically confront obstacles in life. And uh, what I've come to believe is that what separates achievers from non-achievers are things like their perspective, their attitude, uh, their reaction, their tenacity, uh, where you just have a commitment uh, that you will never let anything stop you from reaching your goals. And so tonight's guest, uh, Mr. Ron Ebensteiner, is a perfect example of that. Uh, What I like about Ron and similar to myself. uh, We come from, I think it's fair to say, humble beginnings. And you know, I am a fan of this country and uh, the reason I am is because you can come from humble beginnings and uh, uh, rise according to your effort. And you know, sometimes uh, luck and, and unfortunate things do play a part in it. But once again, uh, if your attitude is right and, 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 and you, uh, you react to things correctly, uh, we can overcome all this and generally succeed. Uh, as a person with a technical background, we very seldom uh, use anything, say anything. Uh, it's a 100% guarantee. Uh, but uh, I think we're in the high inaneus. If we uh, understand that we are in control of our lives and a lot of what happens depends on us, uh, I will repeat Probably get tired of me hearing this, tired of hearing this from me. Uh, Anything I have not achieved in life, uh, all I have to do is look in the mirror. And it's because of something I didn't do, a mistake I made, a choice I made. And so that's just my attitude uh, uh, about uh, my achievements in life. Um, If you want to support this podcast, you can go to LaceyJohnson.com. Uh, you can send messages, you can subscribe, uh, you can donate. Uh, so lacyjohnson.com. And before I go any further, uh, I want to say happy birthday to my wife Betty, uh, my wife of 34 years. Uh, and today she celebrates her 29th uh, birthday again. Uh, you do the math, uh, you might come up with something negative. Uh, and I normally try to uh, 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 Tell one quick story in the news. Uh, I guess a rapper today, Young Dolph, uh, most of these guys I've never heard of until they hit the news, was murdered in Memphis today. And I was at my barbershop, as I do every Wednesday, and we started talking about the state of rap music and how with all the uh, negative uh, things in rap music, the gun violence, the drugs, the disrespect for women, and we, what we don't understand is why? How do why do we tolerate this? Why don't we as people to stop buying this type of music? Uh, and there might be some type of dysfunction that's going on here that lets us accept that and let us that influence the way we do it. Uh, I do remember the time where rap music was positive. Uh, in, starting with Rapper's Delight, Well, that's yeah, probably was so some guy being uh, unfaithful or something like that. But uh, we we had LL Cool J uh, talking about Mama say knock you out, not Mama say shoot you. Talking about the girls around the way, uh, Mace, uh, Puff Daddy, Biggie came out, more money, more problems. Queen Latifah was talking about how we disrespect women with the choice of words. Of course, everyone know about Public Enemy, which was the first rap group, I think. In the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, their social consciousness. But now today we've just taken it totally off the the rail and we need to rediscover ourselves and stay away from that. So that's all I have to say about the news today. Uh I'm anxious to get uh Mr. Eppensteiner on so we can talk about some of his achievement in life and his background. So uh without further ado, uh hey, welcome to Bright Lights, Ron. Good evening, Lacey. Nice to be here. Well, glad to have you here. Uh, And I should say, and I try to be honest with, always honest with my audience, me and Ron go back a while. Uh, Back in the early 2000s, I was working with Ron, and he was involved in the education choice movement. He was involved in outreach to the black community, and we talked about that. And so Ron has always been a supporter uh, 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 uh making things better in our community. I know that uh, right now he's working with uh, Ken and we'll talk about that. Uh, his organization called Take Charge. I understand they recently had Jason Riley, one of my favorite black conservatives in town. Sorry, I missed that. But uh, once again, I was out of town for the memorial service for my sister. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and you know I've always talked about. So anyway, Ron, uh, let's just start diving into it. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you're from, where you were raised. and Because what we're trying to really do is take that Ron and see him go through life and transition to the successful Ron you are today. And I know you've been in investment. I know you've been in biotech. I know you've done a lot of great things out there. Uh, Once again, there's nothing 100% guaranteed in life. I know like most of us investors and us entrepreneurs, we've had success and failures, but we just keep marching on through that. So basically, let's start off with your early childhood. Uh, Where were you born and raised, uh, Ron? Well, I
1: I was born in a a little town south of uh, Sock Center, Minnesota, back in 1950, a a, a long time ago. And I'm the youngest of eleven kids in a in a family, and uh, we I, I grew up on a farm. My father was a farmer. His father was a farmer, and his father was a farmer, and that's what they knew. And you know, growing up on a farm, you learn to pitch in, and. Uh, I had a lot of brothers and thankfully they were older than me so that I didn't have to do all the work on the farm. But the one thing that you learn very early on when you grow up on a farm is that uh, work is uh, the essential ingredient of life. And there was no time to sit around, watch TV. In fact, we never had a TV until I was a junior in high school And quite honestly, we didn't have time for a TV. Uh, In the summertime, we were out in the fields working. It was about a 200 acre farm. And uh, and then in the winter time, we would be going to school, but we'd have to get up at, I think uh, most mornings, we got up at 5.15 in the morning. And uh, we had to milk the cows and, and uh, feed the other uh, uh, smaller animals, the pigs, the chickens. And it was a variety of, of farming that we did. And, uh, and we had to be on the school bus at 7.45 in the morning. And uh, we were at school all day, came home, and then we had chores to do, milking the cows and feeding the pigs and the chickens and you know all of those sorts of things. We'd get into the house at 8.30 in the evening. Uh, have something to eat and then uh, we'd study for about an hour and then in bed and then it would start all over again that's a lot okay uh i I would say it, it was a very unexciting life uh but the one thing that uh was was really good was the fact that work was uh just preeminent part of our lives and we learned to work and, um, and I think that has stayed with me for the rest of my life. Uh, in fact, I, I enjoy work. I get a lot of pleasure from working and being active. You know, uh, if you did the calculation, I am 71 years old, but I don't plan on retiring because I really enjoy being out there working, creating, working with people, uh, uh strategizing as to how to, uh um you know build a business or whatever endeavor you're in and uh it it just it makes it fun it's what i i've always said that work gives life meaning yeah well
0: it's so much to impact there. uh work i agree i tell everyone uh if you hear anyone talking about solving some of these issues in these communities and they don't mention work uh, and one of the things that, uh, one of my pet peeves now is that, uh, uh there are people out there who want to pay people not to work, even if they don't work. And so I have an issue with that. I've been straight up about if you're mentally and physically healthy, we expect for you to work. And, uh, so, so that's one great thing. And just, uh, being raised on the farm, uh, getting up early. And I tell everybody, uh, my wife, I tell all the time, if I had to do it all over again, I think I'd raise my children. Uh, in the country on a farm and not in the city. That's just me. And you mentioned the TV is just like us. Uh, our television, first television had a cord that you could uh, take out, take loose from the back. And my mom used to take it to work with her every day when she left, cause she <laughs> didn't want us sitting around watching TV all day. So I really appreciate that. I appreciate the fact once again, uh, it's not like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, just hard work and dedication And setting goals and things like that. So those are the type of things that we'd like to share with our audience today. But before we get there, uh, I met your wife not too long ago. Tell us a little bit about your current family and and how long you've been married, and how many children and grandchildren uh, that you may have. Tell us a little bit about that, Ryan.
1: Well, well, I got a little. uh, uh, I got started late in life. Uh, I got married when I was thirty eight years old and uh, people have often asked me why did it take so long for you to get married and i always say that i didn't meet the right one and then on age 38 uh, i met the right person that would be uh, a good life's partner and so between uh, the two of us we have one child Uh, she is uh, 30 years old lives in new york city works for a big public affairs uh, company and uh, enjoying living in New York City, for the time being that is, (laughs) it's got some challenges. But uh, my wife is originally from Edmonton, Alberta, which is in Canada. Mm -hmm. And we met at a venture capital seminar uh, back when I was about 35 years old. And uh, um, she was kind of the, uh, the uh, MC of the uh, venture capital seminar. And I was sitting in the audience. And I thought, wow, that woman is really sharp. I got to get to know her, and the rest is history. Okay. Well, I'm not going to get into too
0: much details on that, but I'm glad you, you, you've you been together for so long. Uh, and that's a good segue, because I do know that you've uh, – well, first of all, let's go back. Uh, you major in college. and uh, What was your major in college, by the way?
1: Well, I uh, – you know, when I was uh, – Uh, I graduated when I was, I just turned 17 and I graduated from Sox Center High School and I wanted to go off to college. And I'm the only one in my family that went to college. And uh, although they're all very financially successful, uh, running their own businesses and mainly in the construction trade industry, but uh, I decided that I wanted to go to college. So I went to the University of St. Thomas and my dad said that he would help me uh with my college education and the day i left for school he gave me five dollars and he said well that'll do it you're on your own now and uh so i went to the university of st thomas and then over to the university of minnesota i graduated there with a a degree in political science Um, and i enjoyed taking all of these courses so much that it took me five years to uh, to graduate because uh, I wanted to take a lot of business courses and psychology courses. I took a lot of chem. I took a few chemistry courses, and uh, but my my major my graduate or my degree undergraduate degree is in political science.
0: Okay, uh, you mentioned your dad uh, helping you to uh, with your college education. They gave you five dollars. I often tell the story. My parents let us know from day one. We're going to uh, get you through high school from there on you are on your own. And we're going to teach you everything you need to take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your children. And I was really thankful and blessed for that. When I left home, I said three things. First of all, I'm not going to move ever move back home. Uh Secondly, uh, I'm not going to ever write home for money, which I violated once uh, <laughs> in college. <laughs> I think I. I might have borrowed five hundred bucks from my mom for something, which I, which I can't explain because I always had jobs and things when I was in college. And then, thirdly, uh, I said that whenever I get some money, I'm gonna buy my mom and dad something. So I bought a dining room set that to this day still sits in the dining room of our home. And I was just happy to get them stuff. So, uh, so I didn't even get five dollars, Ron. You, you, you did very <laughs> well. Um, well, you're
1: $5 ahead of me.
0: <laughs> now, I know you mentioned you majored in political science, but Ron, I know you as, an, like I say, as an entrepreneur. I know that you've delved into a lot of technology, biotech, and things like that. Uh, I've been in some meetings with you, and you seem technically sharp. But before we go into there, uh, when did you first decide And when I hear political science, I'm thinking you had an idea to to go into politics. But when did you first decide uh, what your career, what career you wanted for yourself?
1: Well, I I would say it was very early on. Um, Even when I was in grade school, I, I remember thinking, what's the Dow Jones Industrial Average? You know, I would hear that occasionally on the radio, where they would say the Dow Jones Industrial Average increased, you know, three, uh, three points or eight points or whatever, and I would ask my dad, "What is the Dow Jones Industrial Average?" And he said, "You know, it's something to do with the stock market, but don't concern yourself with it. Um, that's only for rich people." <laughs> and I said, "Well, then that's all the more reason I wanted to uh, learn something about it." So. I I was always fascinated with the financial services industry, uh, the stock market and how companies are grown. And in in high school, I would read books on various uh, uh, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, of the latter part of 18th century and 19th century you know, Henry Ford and, uh, or 20th century, I should say, Henry Ford and, uh, you know, the Featherstone and Goodyear tires. And so business was always of interest to me uh, long before I went to college. And uh, um, the reason I graduated with a political science degree is I I, I had enough credits uh, for that. I had enough credits for business as well, but I chose political science to, uh, for my uh, degree but i i always I, I had an interest in political science but i always meant to do something in the business world
0: okay so uh i know you to be uh, a man of many interests and talents and things like that so you graduate you're taking all these different courses which i did also when i was in college i wanted to take course in everything uh you graduated with a political science degree and then what do you do? What's the first job out of college uh, that you ever hold?
1: Well, there was no doubt as to what I wanted to do with my first job out of college. Uh, my older brother, who uh, who never went to college, but he was very successful as a salesman, and he got a job as a salesman, and he did very well uh, financially, as well as developing his career. So um, and I remember him telling me one day, is he said, if you know how to sell, if you can learn how to sell, the world is your oyster. And uh, that that really intrigued me. And so uh, after college, when I graduated, I only applied at various companies in sales position because I really wanted to learn how to sell.
0: Okay. And... If, you, if we have people out there who are interested in being a salesman, if, what, what would you be say are some of the fundamentals of just selling? Just give me two or three, Ron, uh, one or two fundamentals uh, of selling as far as you're concerned.
1: Um, well, for, first of all, you have to be willing and eager to learn how to sell if uh, if you're not interested in learning that whole process and selling and persuading people um, uh, that your product is superior to another product, it, it's not going to work. You really have to commit yourself to learning how to sell. And then once you do that, then it's just perseverance. And you know there's the old saying that uh, that uh, a born salesman, well, I, I'm not so sure. I think there are certain characteristics that, Uh, people have more of a a tendency to be a good salesman with certain characteristics. But you can learn how to be a good salesman. You just have to apply yourself, uh, get some training, read some books on salesmanship. And I I really wanted to sell a product where um, I would have to persuade somebody that my product was superior first of all, that they needed my product. And number two, this, my product was superior to another product that they could possibly get. So when I graduated from the University of Minnesota, my first job was selling typewriters and uh, door to door uh, in downtown Minneapolis. And in fact, uh, one day I was selling typewriters to uh, the local Hewlett uh, Packard office. And uh, they liked my salesmanship, and they offered me a job to selling uh, mini computers. And that's how I got to work at, um, at Hewlett Packard, uh, I think about a year after I started my typewriter business, and moved to California, Los Angeles, because they had an opening for a salesman in the Los Angeles area for Hewlett Packard. And that was the start of my selling career.
0: Wow. Uh, we kind of... Uh, reveal our age when we start talking about typewriters, Ron. Isn't
1: isn't
0: that the truth? (laughs) That is amazing. Now, I know somewhere down the line, you eventually uh, became uh, involved in the investment community and you got a job in the investment community. Uh, How long after you uh, started or finished at Hewlett Packard did you move into the investment area?
1: Well, I worked for Hewlett Packer for two years and Mm -hmm. I had the uh, West LA area that includes Century City, Westwood, uh, all the way to Santa Monica. That was my territory. And I remember one day uh, uh, making a major presentation to, oh, and I also had Beverly Hills, downtown Beverly Hills as well. Mm -hmm. And I made a presentation to the uh, investment firm of Morgan Stanley and on hewlett-packard why they should buy a uh, mini computer and uh, i was in there and i thought i gave a pretty good presentation and the manager of uh, morgan stanley thought i had done really a good job and afterwards after i had made the sale he pulled me into his office and he said how would you like a job working for morgan stanley in institutional sales and I said, gee, I would love to because I I have an interest in the stock market and how companies are funded in finance. I've read a lot of books about it. And he said, well, um, I think you would do well in institutional sales and we'll train you and teach you everything else. And that's when I started uh, my uh, work at... Uh, at Morgan Stanley, and I worked for them. I moved up to San Francisco, worked in their West Coast corporate office for seven years. And that's when the door of the financial services industry opened up for me.
0: I noticed you said that you read a lot of books on investment. Uh, I'm assuming some of them may have been for classes, but some of them you just did on your own. And there's some themes uh, that's evolving here, Ron, as far as goal setting, hard work, uh, thirst for knowledge, uh these books that you read on investment, uh were some of them just on your spare time? I mean, you're a young guy out there and you' I'm assuming you're making good money, California, and uh sound like you're spending some of your time just reading books on investment. Is that correct?
1: Oh oh, absolutely. i I think I read more books after I graduated from the University of Minnesota than while I was there. Um it was it it was not. Uncommon for me to read, probably a dozen magazines, business magazines during the week, and and one or two books uh, during the week, and uh, on on business, on finance, and uh, uh, I loved it. I enjoyed it, and I spent a lot of my free time reading.
0: Well, I hear people who are involved heavily in the investment uh, community to say it can be rather stressful uh did you have many stressful moments or a few stressful moments uh during your uh time at morgan stanley
1: right well i i i I, you know if you like if you like doing something and you really enjoy it it never becomes stressful um you know were were there days where you were really working hard and you had a lot of things to do and there was not enough uh, hours in a day to get it all done absolutely but I really enjoyed it and, uh, um, you know, I think I would, have still, I would have stayed with Morgan Stanley or one of the other investment banking firms, but I was so intent on starting my own business and I wanted to run my own business, start it, own it, build it myself, and not work for a major corporation. And if it wasn't for that desire, uh, I would have stayed with Morgan Stanley for the next 20, 30 years. Uh
0: so, when you were thinking about uh, owning your own business, is there a particular business that you had in mind, or you were just looking for the right opportunity? Uh, how did you go about deciding that?
1: Well, I, I was in California in the, uh, Silicon Valley in uh, in the late seventies and early eighties. You know, that's when mm-hmm. all the venture Apple computer got started. I mean, there was just a lot of activity. And um, uh, I really wanted to work in the venture capital uh, area, but at that time you had to, you know, work in one of these um, high-tech companies before you got a job in venture capital. And so that door wasn't available for me. And so the other area that I was very interested in, it was real estate real estate development and uh, my brother uh, who I referenced earlier, who was such a good salesman, he had started buying up some land in the northern part of the Twin Cities area and he wanted to develop those uh, uh, that land into single family homes and commercial buildings. And he asked me if I would have any interest in moving back to uh, Minnesota and start a real estate investment company with him. And that was in, you know, 1981, uh, which I did. Wow. Uh,
0: So I think, and and I'm trying to be respectful of time. I think eventually, if I understand it, you moved into the biotech area and you've started up a few companies, you've had a few investments, some of them have paid off big and like any investments and any uh, entrepreneurial uh, type of venture, uh, there's risk involved. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Ah, uh, tell us about moving from the uh, real estate development into just other types of industries and corporations, and how did that well, happen?
1: Well, when I was in real estate, you know, we were we had a big uh, single family development up by Cardiac Pacemakers, uh, which is now Guidant, in Arden Hills. And I got to know quite a few, I built, you know, we built a lot of the houses and sold lots to a lot of the uh, executives there. And I got to know a couple of the executives. And one day, one of the executives uh, approached me and said, you know, he would like to resign from uh, Guiden and start uh, a medical device company but he was a scientist and he didn't know anything about how to start a company or how to get it funded. And I said, well, with my background with Morgan Stanley, I knew exactly how to go about it now whether we would be successful or not was a main, you know was another question but so we informed the company and that first company was called art medical systems which was a blood gas analyzer and by that time i had been in real estate in four years and to be quite honest with you i i got kind of bored with real estate it was not as exciting to me as uh as uh, venture capital or um uh developing companies and so we started art medical and three years later we sold it to j and j because we have come up with a very innovative uh, blood uh, chemistry analyzer and uh, that was so much fun so we decided to wait out our two-year non-compete and then we started another company and in fact over the next three years Beyond that, uh, we started three companies in three years after our non-competes were uh, were over with Diametrics Medical, Intag Corporation, and uh, Intratherapeutics.
0: So uh, I know from personal experience uh, that uh, starting up a company and making it successful can be fairly challenging. Uh, did you find it, I'm assuming you found it also challenging? And, uh Uh, I I guess, uh, uh, how is your track record as you look back on it as far as success of the different companies? Because I'm I'm assuming you won some and you lost some, Ron.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. You do win some, you lose some. And uh, fortunately for me, or unfortunately, and I'll tell you why I say that, Mm -hmm. but my first three companies uh, that I started with my cohorts, they were all very financially successful. And uh, what happens when you have success too soon, too quickly and too easily, um, you start getting full of yourself and you think, my God, this is easy and all I have to do is start a company and and you begin to start feeling you're a little bit invincible. Well, um, as I said, the first three companies were very successful. We made money on it. Our investors were very pleased. And then the next three companies that I had started um, and I became kind of a serial entrepreneur with a number of other people and we uh, uh, they were not successful. And quite honestly, you learn more from your failures than from your successes. And one of the things you learn with your failures is a little humility. And um, and, you know, you can be very smart. You can have a great product, a great idea. You can have the right team. You can have all of those things, but you need a little bit of luck, too. Mm -hmm. And and that is something that I didn't appreciate um, when I had the successes. I thought it was due to me and and I didn't realize that, you know, the big fellow upstairs uh, granted me a little bit of luck along the way. And that's why we were successful. So with the failures came eye opening. And uh, as I said earlier, it really I learned a lot through those failures and uh, thank God the only regret I, I have is that I didn't learn them sooner.
0: Well, they tell me success is when opportunities preparation meet opportunities and sound like you've had a lot of instances in your life. I'm I've been listening to uh, you're talking about people coming up to you offering you jobs and wanting to work with you. And I think that's a great thing. And I've had similar experience. So I really appreciate that. And with respect for your time, there's two things I want to delve into. Uh One is I know now uh, that you are working on some broadband type of uh, development uh, uh, company right there. Why don't you tell us about that and your ideas behind that? And uh, how do you um, see, see that working out?
1: Well, um, about seven years ago, six years ago, uh, an engineer from uh, uh, Russia, um, he uh, came to me and I had worked with him in a previous uh, company called Raycotech in the early 90s. Um, and he was just an excellent engineer. And we sat down over, uh, I think we had lunch, and he was telling me about the coming revolution you know with the this is in 2000 oh, about 2010 and he said the internet traffic is going to explode uh actually it was a little bit later than that 2012 the internet uh, uh traffic is going to explode and the current infrastructure uh just isn't adequate you know to handle all the traffic and fiber optic is a great solution, but you can't run fiber to every house and every business. The cost and the time is just too great. And he had a wireless solution for fiber and uh, or fiber-like. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was so intrigued with him and I asked him if he could you know, build this technology and uh, we went to work on it. And I think we formed the company in 2013 thereabouts and i invested in the company and and we i i made the investment without a business plan or anything it was just on a napkin and uh because i was really uh, convinced that he was absolutely right that the uh, uh, internet traffic was to explode and we needed more broadband and that was the genesis of quickbit and now fast forward six years later we had several false starts we didn't have the right product uh we came very close to closing the company on a couple of times, but now I can honestly say that we have probably the best technology uh, today. It's built on a 60 gigahertz uh, technology for uh, what we call wireless fiber. There is no such thing as wireless fiber, but it has mm-hmm. uh, it's a wireless product that has all the capabilities of fiber connectivity. And uh, we, we think... Uh, We call it our broadband 2.0 solution, and we think it's going to be a huge success.
0: Well, Ron, I know your commitment to the inner city communities and disadvantaged communities, and I think we've been talking about bringing broadband to some of these areas. I know that you've been looking at uh, some investment opportunities in the inner city, and I just appreciate that. Uh, But I also know that uh, you have uh, even broader interests and that you're working with Kendall Qualls, uh, Take Charge, I think it's the name of the organization. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that work and what Take Charge is doing and why are you supporting that?
1: Well, throughout my business uh, uh, career and the various business endeavors that I've been involved in, I've always maintained an interest in politics, not so much politics, but policy. And, uh, you know, what are the best policies that we can implement so that all Americans can reach the uh, American Dream. Uh, what policies do we have to implement uh, so that um, um, you know that uh, anyone, you know, with my background, uh, can can uh, find a way in life and can be successful, and it's not just for some people but for all people. And I honestly believe that. Uh, Wherever you are in life, you have a vested interest to make sure that you're not only successful, but that a lot of other people are also successful because that benefits everybody and makes this country a better place. So I've always had a very big interest throughout the last 40 years in policy, and I'm chairman of a public policy think tank and uh we try to come up with policies that will improve the lives of minnesotans it's a very state-based uh policy group but um but the other thing is uh you know you look at the minority community and uh we just have to do a better job to make sure that opportunities are available for people in the minority community and maybe some of that has been neglected over the last uh several decades but it can't be neglected any longer what we have to do is bring jobs and opportunity education to uh, minority communities and so when kendall Walls uh uh he ran for congress as you know and he was uh unfortunately he was defeated and he and he and i talked about how he could make uh, a real uh, uh um help in in uh, in the minority community, and that's why we got involved uh, or started take charge minnesota.org, and uh, it it's it's communicating a message that for uh, all people, but particularly in the community, to get a, in the minority community to get ahead, you, you can't rely on government, you can't rely on other people, you have to take charge of yourself. Take charge of your family. Take charge of your neighborhood and your community, and and you have to be proactive about it. And if you if you go in with that attitude, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And that take charge that little that statement is. I, I remember reading a book many years ago on Booker T. Washington, who I think is one of the greatest Americans. Uh, and, but no one knows much about Brooker T. Washington, unfortunately. And every kid in school should know who Brooker T. Washington was. But one of the things that he said, and he was the, the son of a, of, of a slave and grew up on a, uh, on a plantation, he said he didn't look to anyone, he looked to himself. And he said, "I needed to, very early on. I I understood that I needed to take charge of myself, because no one was going to do it for me. And and hence that's why we named the organization, uh, take charge. And uh, and that's the message that we try and give to everybody. There are opportunities out there, but those opportunities are not uh, going to." Uh, 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 mean anything unless you take charge of yourself and you go out and you go after and aggressively seek those opportunities.
0: Well, uh, I want my audience to know uh, all the time I've known you, and it's probably been over 15 years, uh, that I've always admired the way you conducted yourself and your dedication, your commitment uh, to helping communities and things like that. And maybe because we got similar type a uh, big family country farm type of background. And so I, out of respect for your time, I'm going to let you go here. But once again, uh, I am uh, a conservative uh, in my outlook on life. I think a lot of the liberal policies has really uh, damaged our community and gave us the wrong frame of mind. And when you got the wrong frame of mind, you're going to do some wrong thing, a lot of wrong things. So I really appreciate the fact that you are coming forth and and working to help these communities and the fact that you are conservative uh on the conservative side of the spectrum uh, that you are a republican and people tend to think that you're just a bunch of that don't care but uh i've been knowing this man for 15 years and he's been caring he's been putting his money where his mouth is so we really appreciate that and i want you to know let you know personally i really enjoyed uh, the associating with you and just your attitude, your personality, everything about you. And, uh, so I really appreciate you being on tonight and I like to get you on because you've done so many great things, uh, uh, over your career, uh, and achieved so many great things. And these are the type of things that we want to share with our audience because I'm upfront too, uh, and the people that I talk to, I always tell them you can be anything you want to be. And I'm here to tell you you can. And and I've always felt that way. And I've always let them know if I can do it, you can do it. And so thanks for all the positive messages, Ron, Uh, your personal stories of achievement and commitment and tenacity. Uh, That's what our audience needs to hear. And I challenge anyone out there who do not think they can be what they want to be. Uh, just send me some uh, uh, message or whatever to uh, email to lacyjohnson.com and I will show you how you can be that. So once again, Ron, we appreciate uh, you taking our time tonight to share all your great stuff and look forward to uh, seeing you in person here shortly and uh, keep up all the great work. Okay.
1: Well, thank you, Lacey. Thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank
0: yeah. you just a little bit too short. We'll we'll take care of that. Thanks, Ron. See you soon. All right. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Bye Bye-bye. Uh, that's Ron Ebensteiner, uh, entrepreneur, investor, uh, social conscious person. And like I say, put his money where his mouth is. And, um, so, uh, look for, uh, hopefully we can get down the road. We can get some broadband here in North Minneapolis working with Ron. And so just stay tuned for that. Uh, once again, thank you for tuning in uh, to another episode of Bright Lights. Go out to uh and uh, show your support. And we will see you back here uh, again in one week. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, love you. Take care.